Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Father, we give you thanks for your word and for the life that we have in you. Oh, my goodness. Father, help me to communicate that which you would like me to communicate. Quicken, quicken, quicken me, Holy Ghost, as to what you want me to say this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want you to turn to the book of Titus. Titus is after Timothy. There's 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Turn to Titus for a moment. And I, when I was really, I had a tough, tough week for three they stopped me from taking some of my meds, and I mean, my body reacted really badly. And I mean, for literally, well, three full nights, I, mean, I don't know if you've ever not gone, I mean, even one minute of sleep, and how all night long you, you just, God, you know, it's 3.22, 3.24, and I had that for three full nights. And uh, whatever, <clears throat> so my body got real weak and stuff. And uh, anyhow, and so I turned. Finally, I mean, you know, when you're you're too, you feel so bad, you can't. I couldn't even. I, it was no use for me to open my Bible. I, you know, I couldn't. I didn't have the strength to read my Bible. I, seriously, I'm just being honest. So I just put my head back and tried to. I just would murmur, as it were, the, my hope in God. You know, and the fact that it's okay. I'm gonna come through. This is fine. No biggie. But in the midst of that, you know, like I shared again, Julie and I were talking again. I keep referring to this time where Julie shared this scripture way back when. Of course, I'd read it before, but when she mentioned it a couple of years ago, it just struck me about, you know, I am, I am God who dwells in the thick darkness. And it's interesting because God is, it says God dwells in unapproachable light in one place. And then it says I dwell in absolute darkness. And how do you figure those two things out all I know is this is like again was mentioned this morning the light of God came through Christ and darkness could not and cannot doesn't understand it like that wonderful statement you know God gave Eric that song this morning uh, the darkness has no power over God but there's something about being in the dark I don't know but for Rod maybe different but like 2 o'clock 2.30 in the morning I'd be you know when it totally quiet and very dark I have some of my most precious, precious moments with God. I mean, some of the most, um, I don't know, intimate understandings begin to come. And I begin to see and hear more and more about what really means, what God really wants for me and what God really wants for us as his people. And in the midst of this, I just kept... I suddenly, you know, I just was thinking about people and and not trying to be funny, but I was thinking about like some of the people in the church and I was going, God, you know, I, I mean, I love these people. Father, touch them. And I was praying about today's service and I said, Lord, you know, really, I, and I really do mean it. I'm not trying to get you to pat me on the back, but we'll put it this way. I just, I want you to be blessed. I mean, I really, really do. And one of the things that I've had to learn as a teacher, God gave me the gift of teaching. And so I have a lot of Bible knowledge. But what I had to learn so hard when it really begins to happen to you 
is that you know you you come you become suddenly so aware that knowledge without experience really relates isn't anything and what i'm trying to say is while it's part of the calling on my life to teach the bible and so because of this being the church that god's allowed us to shepherd by the nature of the gift that god's put in me i'm here to teach the bible to you however what we have to watch out for is i don't want when I teach, I don't want you to become smarter. This is not about people becoming smarter as to biblical knowledge. It's about being changed. Do you hear me? I don't want you just smarter. God doesn't want us smarter. He wants us changed. And he's the only one that can do that. But because he is such a gentleman, you have to learn how to yield to his ways. That's all. Said all that to come to this about just kindness. And then this verse, I don't know where, like I said, about 3 o'clock in the morning, I just kept hearing this statement about show unqualified courtesy to people. And I, I was just driven back into the arms of God as to why I like teaching the love walk, the love walk the walk of God and love, just loving people, why I like to teach that more than anything, why it's the, it's the character and the root of all godliness is this issue about loving one another, being kind to one another. And so that's what I'm going to talk about a little bit this morning. So I'll see how far we get, okay? And this is a pastoral epistle. In other words, Paul is teaching those who are to be in ministerial leadership. Start at verse 9, Titus chapter 2, verse 9, and I'll just, see, like I said, see how far I get in some stuff. Um, he said, I'll wait till you get it up there, Titus chapter 2, verse 9, Amplified. He must hold fast to the sure and trustworthy word of God as he was taught it, so that he may be able both to give stimulating instruction and encouragement in sound, wholesome doctrine, and to refute and convict those who contradict and oppose it, showing the way the wayward their error. For there are many disorderly and unruly men who are idle, vain and empty, and misleading talkers, and self-deceivers and deceivers of others. This is true especially of those of the circumcision party who have come over from Judaism. In other words, he's talking now about believers, but they've come over out of, not from the gent. they weren't saved out of a Gentile background. They're saved out of Judaism itself. So they're very used to being under law. Everything's law. And so they still, what he's about to say is they're still carrying the spirit of the law as opposed to grace and the favor of God. He said, um, this is true, especially of those of the circumcision party who've come over from Judaism. Verse 11, their mouths must be stopped for they are mentally distressing and subverting whole families by teaching what they ought not to teach for the purpose of getting base advantage and disreputable gain. Now, in other words, he's saying these people, they're Christians now, and they're teaching. But he said they're teaching some stuff that's wrong. But the one example he gives here is, is something always made me used to laugh in the old days. And he says in verse 12, he said, as an example, one of their very number, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans, people of Crete, are always liars, hurtful beasts, <laughs> idle and lazy gluttons. Now, he said... This is a teacher. This is the prophet of their own. And basically, what? What's everybody staring at? Well, that's her fault. 
Titus 2, verse... I'm Titus 1. I'm sorry. I knew that. I was just testing you. Forgive me. Okay. Like I said, give me a break. Okay. Three nights, no sleep. You know what I mean? Hallelujah. I can't help it. I'm not from Latvia after all. You know what I mean? Titus 1. Verse 11, their mouths must be shut. Verse 12, one of, their, one of their very number, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, hurtful beasts, idle, and lazy gluttons. And this account of them is true. Now, we used to laugh, and I'd read that and say, well, what's true? The fact that Cretans are always are liars, <laughs> hurtful beasts? No, he's, he's really talking strong about these are prophets that are teaching about Christ, who are speaking ill of people. Now, that may sound so simple, but what I'm going to try to communicate again today a little bit is I've got to tell you, you need to watch your judgmental mouths. You need to be delivered from judging people because you don't know the whole story. You do not know. But if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, you really do have to put a watch on your mouth. When it comes to other people, I don't care what they do and whatever, but we'll go into this. He said, and this account of them is really true because it is true. He said, rebuke them sharply. Well, I mean, you know, that's heck of a thing. When you find somebody speaking down on, about people, ripping them apart, rebuke them sharply, deal sternly, even severely with them so that they may be sound in the faith and free from error. You will not be sound in the faith and speak against people. I said you will not find yourself walking in a wholesomeness with God and speaking against people. People make mistakes. Look in the mirror. You make mistakes. There's always something wrong in all of us. There's, you know, we're not perfect people. But he said... Uh, Rebuke them so that they may be sound in the faith and free from error and may show their soundness by ceasing to give attention, and he adds this, to Jewish myths and fables or to rules laid down by mere men who reject and turn their backs on the truth. Verse 15, to the pure in heart and conscience, all things are pure. But to the defiled and corrupt and unbelieving, nothing's pure. Their very mind and conscience are defiled and polluted. You study that out. Paul is saying it's an incredibly beautiful thing to be pure-hearted and to see the good in people. It's just that simple. But you know that there's a lack of purity in your heart when all you do is look for wrong in people. And I'm trying to get us to understand, especially like this where I said this can be linked to the whole message of prayer. I guarantee you, you will not be effective in prayer if you have a judgmental, critical spirit. Do you hear me? You know, some people say, in my opinion, you know what I mean? Well, we don't need your opinion, really, quite frankly, you know. And the old joke about, I'm a, well, I gave them a piece of my mind and people have done it so long where they got no mind left. You know, that whole thing as well. But he said, to the pure in heart, and it's that, to the pure in heart, all things are pure. In other words, I don't get troubled by what used to trouble me. I, I, it's not that big of a deal when I see somebody doing things that aren't. For example, Julie and I, again, we were just talking about something, and, we, and it is true. You know, there's, oh, God, there's, you know, I've got like 15 hours of something in me that I cannot communicate in an hour. 
it is true. You know the one talent, two talent, five talent. There's so much teaching about that. Different levels, faith to faith, strength to strength. They're everybody, like in the body of Christ, are at different levels. There's some churches that have this assignment, some have that assignment. Some go deeper, some aren't so deep. Some are shallow. I mean, like one man used to say years ago about many churches in America, he said the problem with, with the large percentage of churches in America is that they're an inch deep and a mile wide. In other words, you have these massive, massive congregations sometimes that all gather around about the community of Christianity, but they have no depth to the life whatsoever. And they live as worldly as the world does, but they're Christians. But even in that, you see, you have to learn to do, okay, if, and, and you want to say, well, that's some of those shallow Christians. But see, as a minister, if I'm going to be a follower of Christ, I can't say that. Even if I see that, and it may be, quote, unquote, the fact, it's not for me to say anything about it. Again, if I really want to follow Christ. Remember, we're not called to be spiritual detectives. You know what I mean? We're not called to locate error in people. It's not our job. That's not what the prophetic is about either. And we'll get to that in a little bit as well. To the pure in heart and conscious, all things are pure. It's just a much better life to see goodness in people. I'm telling you, you'll live a lot better life if you learn to look for good. And like I said, I, actually, I watched this Bill Johnson video when I was up at about 3 o'clock in the morning watched a couple times and I will boldly say that some of the thoughts I have right now are things that I, I heard um, I got from listening to that. In other words, I give him credit. Some One of the things he, he made this statement, and if I had a title for this message, it's going to be that. He said, look for the gold. Yeah. In other words, we, in people, our job is to look for the gold in people. Okay? Now, to the pure in heart and conscience, all things are pure. But to the defiled and corrupt and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Their very minds and consciences are defiled and polluted. They profess to know God. Now remember the know, the word like here says to recognize, perceive, and be acquainted with him. Remember, knowing God, we're talking about that word speaks of a, of a depth of intimacy. Again, like I said, not knowledge alone. Well, I don't want you smarter. We're not talking about being more smart biblically than someone talking about knowing God hear me knowing God hallelujah knowing God they profess to know God people that are like this they're always talking about others all in the name of the with the kind of spirit is I'm a stronger Christian than they are I know God so much I know you know and people say people say they know God better than you don't they don't they may what they may know more scripture but the moment that comes out of their mouth you, we have to understand they don't really know God because God doesn't act like that it, it's it's so difficult we tell people we share that God loves you but again that's why Paul's prayer that we might know four dimensions length height, depth, breadth of the love of God, which, which passes all understanding. To know that God changes worlds by loving them. To know that God changes families by showing mercy where no mercies deserve. Is that, that's the journey that we'll be on forever. We're supposed to be like him. Ephesians 5.1 says we're to imitate him and walk in love even as Christ loved us and in the midst of all of our stuff forgave us and was a sweet-smelling sacrifice. I mean, 
we're, we're called to be good people, kind, and to love people. People, you don't have to qualify for God to love you. So when we have, when we live from the perspective that people that we know have to qualify before they're worthy of my love, we're not walking godly. And believe me, I'm here to tell you that's not easy all the time. Because again, as I've heard others say, you know, some people God puts in your life to bless you. Others God puts in your life to afflict you. There are people in your life, you know, that just in the natural drive you crazy. They profess to know God, to recognize, perceive, and be acquainted with him, but they deny and disown and renounce him by what they do. They are detestable and loathsome. They're unbelieving, disobedient, disloyal, rebellious, and they're unfit and worthless for good work, deed, or enterprise of any kind. Um, go to chapter 3, verse 1. Remind people to be submissive to their magistrates and authorities, to be obedient, to be prepared and willing to do any upright and honorable work, to slander or abuse or speak evil of no one. Now listen to that again. This is what I, I just, I know this may sound so simple, but he said, Paul said, pastoral epistle, speaking of those leadership, keep reminding people, don't slander or abuse or speak evil of anyone. Anyone. Now it all depends how much you want to mature. And really what this speaks of is how much you want the favor of God in your life. Because that's what this issue is. Do you want the favor of God to be in your life? We are favored already from God. But what do you do with this verse? And it's, again, something I was sharing in prayer with the people, you know, back in Deji and the elders before church. But, you know, when you read in Luke 2.52 about Jesus as a young man, how he, it said that he began to grow in stature and he subjected himself to his uh, mother and father and went and stayed in Jerusalem. And it said, and he continued to grow in stature, and he increased in favor. Listen to this. And God, Jesus increased in favor with God and man. That used to always freak me out, and it still does. But I'm just starting to get some light on it, and I don't want to get into that now because I will go another whole new direction. But I fully understand, and this is something else that, that was said that uh, I love Bill Johnson because I actually do think like he does in some areas. Don't mishear me. He's a billion light years beyond anything I've got. But I so love it when, you know, if you're a minister or anything, you really love it when you hear somebody else say the same stuff you do, that you're somebody that you respect. Um, I fully comprehend that Jesus increased in favor or how he would need to with man. In other words, as people, man begin to know him more um, you know, many would begin to, okay, he would have more favor with them, right? And uh, having said that, many are called a few and chosen. This, like I said, the message of God has come to the whole planet one way or the other, even through creation. Romans is very clear. God has made himself known by creation itself. But very, very few respond. That's a sad fact. You are blessed because you responded to Jesus Christ already. That's why you've already come under judgment. You've been judged righteous. Hallelujah. And you now dwell with eternal life. Praise God. But that, again, is to give us the boldness to share this with others. Anyhow, 
But Jesus, how can Jesus, who is sinless, increase in favor with God? I mean, that, I mean, he is God made incarnate, right? Right? So how can he? But see, then I began to understand, it's not that Jesus began to receive more favor from God. Because how can he be in a, you know, but he began to increase in the understanding of God's favor. He began to increase, increase began to come in everything that he did. I mean, again, he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And I did a word study in that just last night whenever it just blew my mind. And again, I was sharing with them back there. I, I don't want to get into that either because I'm seeing some stuff that's so... I'm finally understanding some stuff. But when it says he learned, it doesn't mean he suddenly gained understanding. He, well, excuse me. I, nope, I said that wrong. It doesn't mean that he found new information. It means Jesus... Uh, it says... See, we're God's project. There's another gr- word. I can't even remember what the word is now in the scriptures, but the Greek word for it is we're his project. We are... The people of God who are in the process of becoming, we are becoming more and more every day. You know what? I'm, we're we're God's project. We're becoming more. Or hopefully, we're becoming more like Him. That's what the goal is. Jesus <clears throat> learned, and it means He began to understand because of the fact that He was obedient. He learned. He learned obedience. He began to understand what obedience produced. And he began to have greater understanding because of what he suffered. But the word suffered is interesting when you look that up. And again, I don't, this is not actually what I'm teaching this morning, but it's the word pathos. And it means empathy. It means the feeling. It means it means what you've sensed because of what you've experienced. So when it says he learned obedience from what he suffered, it's talking about as Jesus is manifest. You know, this is God that's suddenly in the human form of a man's body. And he stripped himself, remember, of all Godhead powers. And now he's having to walk like a man, 100% God, but he's 100% man. And so he's having... These he's discovering what his father's creation is having to work through and to walk through to really get closer to the father because that he's the one that's supposed to bring this message. And so he's learning, he's understanding as he's following what he knows his father's will is for him to do. He's beginning to see more and more and that's causing more and more of an expression of the, the uh, he's sensing, he's experiencing the outcome of what it means to follow his father. He's seen people made whole. He's seen lives changed. He's seen needs met. He's seen all this. And this is what we're all supposed to do. But Jesus increased with favor. And it means that he began to comprehend more of the favor of God that was definitely upon him. But see, one of the incredible implications of this is that you've got to hear. Jesus was without sin, right? But see, most of us live today. In other words, put it this way. Lord, help me say this right, please. Um, 
be increased in favor. Um, just give me a minute. It's, it's coming. <laughs> what is today, Thursday? You know, I'm actually having a lot of fun. I really, I'm having fun this morning. When I was sitting there and, and they were worshiping, I just started, I, 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 was, in, I was enjoying God so much that I, I, I was afraid my smile was going to, have you ever just felt so happy in God that you felt like your face was going to break those times? And I had to be careful because I got false teeth up here and I didn't want them to fall out. You know what I mean? I'm sorry. I know. Shake your head at me. But I mean, just, I just, God, I really love you. Anyhow, so I'm enjoying myself. You guys can go to bed. I don't care, really. Um, the implication of Jesus needing to increase in favor to have more understanding, the implication is that it has nothing to do with sin. In other words, today we think we, don't, we can't walk in the favor of God. We're maybe missing the favor of God because of something we've done. We know our shortcomings. We know we've made mistakes. We know we've sinned. And so we disqualify ourselves from the favor of God. Right? Right? But see, he was sinless. In other words, this is why you have to understand the moment you begin to think you can earn more. This is the thing that's so, so care. You have to be so careful. And this is why Paul and Titus is really getting down on the people that come out of the, from under the law that are teaching Christ, but they're still teaching law without realizing it. They still don't understand the fullness of grace and favor. We, the moment you think, oh, God help me here. The moment you think you have to live better. The moment you think you have to live better. Now you see how careful I got to be with this statement? Because we all need to live better, right? But the moment you begin to live from the perspective, I must live better to earn God's greater blessing you're in works and you're out of grace and out of faith <laughs> see the revelation that we're in Christ you know I often use the illustration about you know like you go to Disneyland you can buy these big balloons and they have a balloon on the inside of a balloon like with the head of Mickey Mouse you know what I mean right you ever seen those things we're in Christ so that's a picture. You see the outer balloon, but on the inside is Mickey Mouse. See, you and I are Mickey Mouse. When somebody walks towards you with that balloon, with Mickey in it, you see the outer first. This is why you've got to understand, when, you, when God sees you walking towards him, he sees Jesus. No, wait, see, you didn't hear that. When God sees you coming toward him, he doesn't see you without first seeing Jesus. He loves you. You are in Christ. You are in Christ. You are forgiven. You've already been judged. You get to. You don't have to. I get to obey. I don't have to. I get to be more yielded. 
I don't have to. I've got to do this. Oh, my God, if I just prayed one more, if I prayed one more hour, even that's works. See, the moment it's what I have to do or what I must do, you've made God's blessing and promise become a reward rather than a gift. Do you hear that? And see, we... The gifts of the Spirit. And again, you've got to be so careful, earnestly covet and desire the gifts of the Spirit. But again, the moment in people all the time, you know, if you really want this stuff to work in your life, you need to clean this up and clean that up and clean this up. Listen, what do you do with the fact that it does say in Romans the gifts of God are, are never revoked? Once they're given, they're never revoked. He never, change, he never changes his mind about those to whom he sends his gifts. Now, I, listen, I'm, I'm with you and the fact that I, I hate the fact that there are people that have the gifts of the Spirit operating in their life, but they have corruption everywhere in them. That's, that frustrates me. But see, this is what you have to learn over the years. Like I said, when you study these incredible revivalists and stuff that had all these power manifestations in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, a lot of their, you know, guys were alcoholics, some were perverted, some had, you know, the John Alexander Dowie used to go down after meetings in Zion, Illinois. They named the whole city. The whole city became, you know, outside of Chicago was named Zion because that's where Dowie was and that's where all these gigantic miracles were happening. And in the last seven years of his life, you know, it talks about when you study, you find out down in the basement he had these two bathtubs and after they, they would pour the offerings into the bathtubs until the bathtubs are full and he used to stand down there and run his hands through this they said and laugh with glee he would lift up the money let it fall through his fingers and go <laughs> I mean you know and yet these incredible and A.A. Allen you know, all these guys they all had these incredible fractures in their life and this is why I think, you know, the, the ministry right now today, if the move of God today is all about the presence of God, isn't it? Worship, David's tent, everything. It's about finding the presence of God. But those who are really moving in that, somehow they've, they've got their attention more on his goodness than anything else. And that's what has to begin to happen with us. And this is where it does take a giant, quote, unquote, leap of faith. Rod knows more than anybody his weaknesses. And if we're honest, when we're around others, you know, I want you to see my strengths. I don't want you to see my weakness. You don't want people to see your weakness, but you got some. But you don't want people to see them. So what do you do most of the time? You work on your weakness. Or at least you know, oh, my God, at least you put it this way. Your weakness has a lot of your attention. That's why you'll continue to have that weakness. Because you give it all of your attention. You're working on it. See, this is where, again, you have to catch something. If you follow the heart of God, that other stuff gets taken care of as a byproduct of going after the heart of God. Did you hear that? See, but we want to concentrate on fixing something. And God wants us to concentrate on him. And loving him. You know, Jesus, what's, I, I, I don't, I've been quoting it wrong lately, but you know, you search the scriptures because you think about, you think when you find them that you'll know something. He said, but they speak of me. And what Jesus was saying is, guys, it's not about searching the scriptures. You're searching the scriptures so, again, you can have more knowledge. 
but they're trying to show you somebody, not something. So, yeah. Hallelujah. Verse 2 of Titus 3 again. Remind people, don't slander, abuse, or speak evil of anyone. Avoid being contentious. Avoid being contentious, please. And to be forbearing, yielding, be gentle, be conciliatory. And here's that verse, like I said, that I kept thinking of in the early in the morning. To show unqualified courtesy. And I don't know why, just those three words, man, I couldn't, you know, if you, you ever been studying or reading something and just three words or something like this happens and you can't stop saying them. Show unrestrained, unqualified courtesy. Remind people, Paul saying, Titus, remind people, show unqualified. You don't have to qualify. Be courteous to everybody. One of the hardest people to be around are just old-fashioned, mean-spirited people. There are some people that are so set in their ways that they'll never experience God's ways. Because this is the way I am. Well, we need to be delivered from how we are to be more like he is. Show unqualified courtesy to everybody. For we also, verse 3, were once thoughtless and senseless, obstinate, disobedient. We were disluted and misled. We too were once slaves to all sorts of cravings and pleasures. We wasted our days in malice and jealousy, envy, hateful, hated, detestable, and we hated one another. Right? I mean, we were all there. Right? I mean, you know, it's because that's the way the world is. But we're not supposed to be like the world. But... Verse, verse um, 4, hallelujah. When the goodness, thank God, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior to man as man appeared, he saved us, hallelujah, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but because of his own pity and mercy by the cleansing bath of the new birth, the regeneration, and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he poured out so richly upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior, verse 7. And he did it in order that we might be justified by his grace, his favor, not works. He did it so that we might be justified by his grace, by his favor, wholly undeserved, that we might be acknowledged and counted as conformed to the divine will, in purpose, thought, and action, and that we might become heirs of eternal life according to our hope. Anyhow. But when the goodness and the mercy of God, verse, verse 4, but when the goodness and, excuse me, and the loving kindness of God to man appeared, he saved me. Now just think about that. Put your, put your mouth, put your mouth, and your, put your mouth there too. Put that in your mouth. And... And put yourself in that picture and understand. That's what happened to me, you see. Now remember, the Bible teaches us that we're three salvations. We were, we're saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. In other words, we're in process. We're God's building. We're his project. We're in the process of becoming 
until, you know, I pray for you until Christ be formed in you, right? Right? Christ is being formed in us. So give yourself a break. But give others a break. You're not them. You don't know what they've gone through. You don't know their story. Give people a break. Okay? But also, see, it's dangerous. Don't be stupid (laughs) at the same time. Follow those who follow Christ. But to follow Christ means to see this, the goodness and the loving kindness of God. When the goodness and the loving kindness of God came to Rod, I was saved. Hallelujah. I wasn't saved by becoming a better person. You don't become, and that's, isn't, that's one of the oldest statements people always used to say. I, you need to, we'd share with people, you know, the gospel and, you know, we'd, can we please, we'd like to pray for you to receive Jesus. And what would people say all the time? No, no, I'm, I'm too bad a person. Well, duh, yeah. That's why you need Jesus. But no, you don't understand. I mean, when I'm, when I'm better, when I've conquered more of this stuff and whatever, you know, then, then I'll start coming to church or whatever. But I can't come to church because I would be a hypocrite. You're all hypocrites. You know, the word hypocrite means it's a mask. You know, everybody's got masks on. Everybody in this room has a mask on right now. You know, you may appear, you appear to people on the outside. But see, he knows your heart. And this is what he's after. And this is why, you know, this is what I'm after. This is what Julie's after. This is what Anne's after. This is what anybody who's a man. We, we want you to submit to heart surgery. We don't want you to be better for the sake of being better because all that does is going to show other people or that's going to give you, you know, some outward display of righteousness that's not on the inside. So you have to begin to acknowledge what he's done on the inside. Before you'll ever change on the outside. I mean, it can't, it, you can't, I don't know how else to say it. There's no other way to say it. I have to acknowledge I'm right with God. See, I am. Hallelujah. And people think when you say that, you're telling me you never sin, you never mess up. Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. This last week was an expression of that. I failed in the natural field. God, amazingly, I was, so, I was in so much pain at one moment. I mean, you know, I, Julie said something, and I mean, I just, it just, Kicked something in me and I went off. And I mean, I'm, I know that this will shock you, but, you know, I wasn't always the incredibly kind, beautiful, handsome, loving, gentle person that I am. And I mean, you know, like Julie said, she's seen me angry twice in my life. You don't want to see me angry. I'm, you know, be delivered from angry people. You're not supposed to associate with angry people. But there would be points when I might, that trigger would go off in me. And it was part of my... It's what kept me alive in prison, quite frankly. I mean, you know, when that adrenaline, when that happens, you, you become like a wild man and you, you do supernatural feats. Yeah. But anyhow, I mean, I came unglued right, with Julie. And, uh, boy, I, I mean, I mean I'm, you kidding, man? My voice reached the decibel level of about 40,000, like 14,747 is jumping out. I can get really loud when I, when I have to. And I started cussing. I cussed her out. Good, just like a preacher should. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now, you can go ahead and judge me if you want, but I'm just being honest. But, um, but see, the one thing, I've learned how to repent. Hallelujah. I know that all of you are super holy. I know that. I can see it on all of you. That's your jive mask. You ain't that holy on there. Trust me, sweetie. Anyhow, but you, you learn... 
you learn. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God appeared to me, it saved me. But see, that happens, like I said, we're saved, we're being saved, we're in process. See, when you make a mistake, like the mistake I made, I, I've been in this for 34 years now, walking, trying to understand this stuff. And like I said, for a long time, I just thought knowledge alone was enough. And I didn't know that you had to shut up and wait on him. And let him, again, like Bill Johnson said, there's all the different, well, I've said it for years too, but he says it better. There's all the difference in the world between the Holy Spirit being in you and the Holy Spirit coming upon you. And you have to give and make, like you've heard me say forever, you have to make space for God. And you have to learn how to quiet yourself, be still, so that you can allow and give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to come on you, to come upon you. And that's the moments that I long for because that's when everything is like it's supposed to be. You know what I mean? That's when I understand why I'm a Christian, why I follow this stuff. I'm not following some cleverly, Paul said again, I'm not following, we're not following some cleverly devised teaching. We've been saved. I've been changed. I haven't been taught. I've been changed. I've been changed. I became a new creation, a brand new species of being that never existed before. I became brand new. But 34 years, I've had to undo what my body was trained to do and what my head was trained to think like because the salvation came to the inner man, right? See? But I was changed. And it's like I said, you will never change from the outside in. You change from the inside out. You've got to catch this somehow, some way. So this is why you learn to submit to him. Submit, you know, to yourself. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. I was sharing again with Julie something that, you know, that verse in Luke 2.52, or again about Jesus, subjected himself to his parents and went back to Jerusalem. And then he grew in stature and, and, and increased in favor. The word subjection or the word submission, especially on teaching on marriage, has been, you know, the devil wants that word totally misconstrued. But to be submitted, well, think about it. Well, let's put it this way. Submission, when the true meaning of submission or to subject yourself, what that means is, is to put yourself in the position when you get around somebody else, that you can receive the grace they carry. See, the more, see, submission, sub, under somebody else's mission. See, when I learn, we're to submit one to another. When I, you know, yeah, wives submit to your husbands, but also husbands submit to your wives, really. Because when I sub, when I submit, when I understand how to submit myself more to Julie, I'm able to receive more of the grace that God's given to Julie. She carries a different grace. I, I don't carry that. So if I don't want to hang around somebody because they don't think exactly like me, I'll never partake of what they carry that I don't carry. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? This is why the love of God working through you, you must quit separating yourself from people just because they don't think exactly like you do. They carry a grace that you don't. So we celebrate 
diversity. I said we celebrate diversity is what we're supposed to do. But the devil doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to divide over diversity, doesn't he? I know that's simple, but you need to hear me with your spirit this morning, not just your ears. If you want to begin to live in the greater favor that is available, see, God's already done his bit. So it's here, but you'll never experience it. You will use some of I've, all the time. God, so people have some great dreams, and they are God-given dreams. I know all kinds of people that have dreams and that God gave them the dream. But they will never, ever experience it if they don't know how to submit themselves to the favor of God that's already there. And the way we learn to do that is by learning to honor others who carry a grace that we don't. See, you've got to understand, this is the way God is. If you want more of God's plan in your life, you have to learn to live from the inside out. You have to, that's why the Bible says, work out your salvation. You don't work it in, you work it out. Salvation's on the inside of you. What God's done, the work he did on the inside, you have to work it out. You have to work it from your spirit to your soul to your flesh and to the rest of this world. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And see, that's when you become more Christ-like. But see, God sees that increase in the understanding of how much I've, he's favored you. In other words, you begin to discover that he does love you. God loves me. Hey, that doesn't mean anything. It's when you begin to discover it. This is why if any man hath ears to hear, let him hear you know, there's all the difference in the world between having heard something and hearing it. Like I said, true listening is an art form. This is why you, again, over and over again, I say this like I've already mentioned this morning, you've got to learn how to get alone and turn anything off and just learn to listen. And you don't strain, you don't start going like this, this isn't listening. But see, with exercise, and it does come through exercise, you learn to quiet this. And, the way, and you learn to do that by casting the imaginations down, pulling down on the strongholds in your thinking, letting Anne go early when she needs to, and I promise never to embarrass her. You learn to do that and not be hurt deeply in your spirit. But you need, but again, see, this is, it's crucial because otherwise... We'll be on our, we'll live our entire journey on earth and we'll be reading other people's stories. And it's because we, and see, again, I got to be so careful because we're so dedicated to our own purpose. Now, see, that can be, you need to be dedicated to what God's given you, don't you? I mean, you need to. So please, this is what I mean. See, it's so tough because people can so misconstrue it. It's just that you have to have things in the right order. You be dedicated. Like, again, like for me, I have, a, and again, it's not pompous. I hope you don't know me long enough now. It's just I had to understand what God gave me before I could learn how to cooperate with it, so I had to own it. You know what I mean? I had to own it. So it's not a matter of me going, I am a Bible teacher. Hallelujah. Everybody salute me right now. Come on, everybody praise me. 
Praise. Thank you, Jeff. Over there. Jeff's over there praising me right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jeff. No, no, no. It's just that, see, true humility, I learned from Kenneth Hagin, is learning to own what God's done in your life. And then you begin to walk out of it. Not, you're not advertising it. It's like, again, apple trees don't have to go around telling everybody they're apple trees. You know it's an apple tree by what it produces, right? But I'm just trying to say you, you have to own what God's done, and you have to be dedicated then. But the point is you have to understand that we are an ever, and we're, in, we're, in a, we're on a project. God's training us. But we show unqualified courtesy. <sighs> what time is it? 2.30. I'm doing good. Let me hurry. Um, I'm about to celebrate. We applaud our children when they take a step forward, right? Do you remember like right now, like seeing Kenny up here with two children, you know, and how, do you remember like, you know, when Anna was a little, my daughter Anna, like when she was a little bitty girl, you know, you long for them to take that first step. You know what I mean? You just love it when they take that first step. Don't you? If you're a good parent, I mean, you, oh, that's so cool. You know, you back up and you try to go, come here, come on, baby, come here, come on, you know, whatever. And have you, but if they fall backwards, we don't, you know, go, yeah, you loser. I mean, you are a real loser. You're supposed to walk and step forward and you fell backwards on your butt. You are a loser. You're probably going to be a loser your whole life. You know what I mean? I mean, no, I mean, but see, you've got to catch that. That's, do you think God's, God, see, we're to celebrate when people take steps forward. You don't celebrate, but we want to punish people who take steps backwards. That's not God's way. And see, you're not hearing me. You got to be quicker to celebrate than to punish. And so when somebody falls or makes a mistake, you don't sit around and spend 14 hours talking about how, what they should have, could have, and did it, whatever, and do that. No. See, you and I, you've heard me say it for a long time as well. When you come to church, find somebody to encourage. That's what I'm talking about. Look, like again, this Bill Johnson thing, this statement look for the goal, look for the good, speak. Again, I learned this from Rick Joyner, I think, all those years ago, that he made this statement that's now mine, so I don't have to quote him anymore. It's mine. You speak to the good in people because what you speak to is what will rise up. Really hear that. You speak, what do you want to rise up in somebody? Do you want to always tell them about what they do wrong? Is that what you're called to do? Be a spiritual reminder all day long of what you don't do right. You know, you'd be a whole lot better if. I'd love you a whole lot more if and when. Remember, that's called conditional. That's the thing that makes God different. His love is unconditional. There's no conditions. There's no conditions. You don't love so many. Charlotte doesn't love Matt so much because he never leaves his dirty socks around. Right, Matt? You never leave your socks hanging around. You're just perfect husband. Hallelujah. But, you know, the moment, but see, it is true. This whole, the wild teach the love walk forever. The moment you say, I will love you more or I'll be better to you if you put a condition. That's not the way God does it. So you're doing something outside of the way God does it. God can't bless that. God can only bless stuff that looks like what he does. I love you. Why? Because I love you. Not because of what you do. You know, this is what keeps a marriage together. Julie and I are so different. 
in so many areas. I mean, it is chalk and cheese. I'm telling you, it is, it's a crack up. And that's why they say God brings opposites, puts opposites together. If you are absolutely like your spouse, you are miserable. You know, God brings opposites together so they complement one another. She has incredible strengths that I will never possess. Believe it or not, I have a few strengths she doesn't have. But so we're so different. We're so different in areas. But, you know, this is, people divorce because of they think differently. They do it. So, but you don't. You learn if you'll celebrate it. This is why I championed you. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. You know, I, I am a Bible teacher after another time. Julie's a Bible teacher as well. But I will hear Julie get up to teach. Some. I remember in conferences years ago, Julie would get up to teach sometimes. And I'd sit there and go, where on God's earth is she going? <laughs> I mean, I, honestly, I would sit there and I'd go, what in the heck? You know, she's gone 37 directions and there's no cohesion. And that's how I'm seeing it because I do it. My, you know, my, I work this way. And I'd go, my God almighty. And it's true. She said, but I've never been, she, you didn't accuse me the other day. She, you made mention, you said something that, I forget something, but something like, did I, she said something like, did I embarrass you? And I said, of course not. You never embarrass me. You're my beloved. I, but I championed her. But anyway, I'd sit there, you know, and I'd just go, God. And see, I was judging. I was judging from my vantage point. But then after the service, you know, herds of people would come up. Oh, my God. You touched me. That's so powerful. I mean, you just messed my whole life up. You changed everything. I mean, my God, I don't know if I've ever heard anything like that. And, you know, I'd sit there and I can, I'd literally, honestly, I'd sit there and I'd go. How in God's name did you get anything out of that? Just frustrate the heck out of me. Just frustrate the heck out of me. I don't mind telling you. Just frustrate the heck out of me. Made me angry at times, you know. That... You know, that, my God, man, I mean, you know. But see, that's because I was so young and immature in so many ways. I had no, I just didn't know that, you know what, people work in different ways. God, you know, if, if you, have, you can give five people the same message, the same script, and they can read it. But because of what they carry in their spirit... Those messages will speak to five different types of people who are able to receive because they carry a similar spirit. And but what I just said right there is very deep, but it's very powerful. This is why, again, you know, you can have a musician get up and play an incredible song. And you can have another musician get up and, as it were, play the same song, maybe even with more emphasis on it, more strength, it sounds like more fervor but with hardly any of the results that the earlier singer did. It's because of what they carry in their spirit or what they don't carry in their spirit. This is why, like I said, even in our worship meetings here, we constantly say, see, I, we, we want you to get, see, God help us. God, I love the fact that we're after the new song of the Lord. We really are. We do want, I mean, but we're not afraid to sing songs that God has already written through people. But, you know, that issue about being delivered from the overhead because it's so difficult to really get into worship when you're having to read everything. And this is why, again, I always tell them I love it when we get do sometimes some of the old-timey songs where we don't have to look at anything. We can shut our eyes and sing unto God. You know what I mean? But the thing is, 
we have to learn to celebrate. And God, you need to hear this. See, to increase in what's already here, you have to learn how to honor what other people carry. And again, well, I don't know, I'm quoting Bill Johnson so much. Years back, what they talked about is what they've learned to do at Bethel is to create a, a culture of honor. That's what they say, right, Sophie? They, to create a culture of honor where people learn how to honor God. But see, to honor, just honor other people. In other words, that's what you're supposed to wake up with, not looking at people and noticing how different we are. That's the whole, that's the whole trip with racism. I mean, if all you ever do is notice he's black, well, you have so flipping limited your life. You know, you've just jacked up your whole life. If the moment you see somebody and they're not your color, you automatically assume this, that, or the other. And see, some of us have been trained by the world to actually, we're, we don't even know we're like that. I mean, when it first started happening about, you know, mixed race marriages, are you kidding me in America when that, and when I was around, I mean, the 60s, late 60s, what have you like that, to a black woman marrying a white man or a, a white, I mean, a white, a black guy marrying a white woman, oh, are you kidding me, man? Boy, the hackles would raise up on everybody. I mean, <laughs> I love you, but you're marrying a black person? Are you sure? I mean, are you sure? We'd, we'd play it off by saying, well, you know, the culture is so different, man. Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure you're going to be able to handle this, that, and the other? But what do you do when you actually come to grips with God? And like I said, covenant is all about diversity. And God does. He brings people from different backgrounds, different cultures, different ways of thinking. And, 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 what, and when it does come to race, and do you really? And it's not just a joke about God being colorblind. God doesn't see skin color. God sees heart. He sees heart. And this is why, again, when we talk to young people that are single, what have you, we tell them, you know, please, you know, don't be just automatically bound to the outward appearance. You're supposed to look for the heart. What is in their heart? What? Because that's where the treasure is. The treasure, and how many, you know, people, they start hanging with people like girls in particular, like the old, you know, because Julie and I growing up around all the music stuff. You know, if a guy's a hot guitarist, you know, the chicks would, oh, you know what I mean? And, you know, and this is why they have, you know, the groupie, the whole groupie things, all these chicks hanging around the bands, having sex with them because they're good musicians. How, talk about shallow and how much heartache and destruction came into the lives of people. It still happens today because we all want heroes. And we like to get close to heroes. Well, you know what I'm going to say already. He is the hero. He is a hero. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. I mean, God, I, I want your heart. I don't want to live based upon outward appearances and fleshly stuff. I don't want to live my whole life making decisions based upon what value something carries in the flesh. I mean, honestly, I don't want to live like that. And the thing is, when you wake up to the fact that you'll never really have, you'll never really walk in greater blessing. Until you start living towards that, that's when you, you, hopefully you get shocked and you begin to watch your mouth. And I'm not going to speak against me. That's not how God does things. I do want to have an unqualified courtesy about me. I want to be a kind. I want people to think when they hear me, he's a kind man. 
I want people to say Rod always speaks well of people. Uh, and I, you know, that, and, and even that, I don't want that to be a testimony because I want you to think I'm cool. I just, I just want to be like that. And so I'm working on that. Like I said this week, there was a moment there when I was not quite like that. Hallelujah. I'm not, you know, I'm not as good as Michael Powell. You know, Mike's, Karen's told me so much. He's been perfect every single moment and second of their entire marriage. He's perfect. We're to celebrate the steps people take, not punish them for steps they didn't take. Now, let me finish with this. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship. Say that with me. For we are his workmanship. Now, this is what really bit me in the back. Boy, I love this. This is why I make a statement about prophecy. The word workmanship is the Greek word poema, spelled P-O-I-E-M-A. You know what that word is? It's the word that we get the word poem, poem from. We're God's workmanship. Now think about this. We're the writing of God. We're what we are in the process of becoming who God has called us to be. He is writing out how marvelous you are right now. You're one of God's poems. You're still not catching it, but it's okay. See, God sees you as his son or his daughter. I am my beloved's and he is mine. I mean, well, how do you, how do you grasp that? I am his beloved. I'm the pupil of God's eye. God's full attention is on me. He loves me that much. He's longing to show himself alive to me. His heart, his eyes are searching for any little crack that he might bust in and bless me in another way, and yet another way, and then another way. And then he wants to bless me that much. See, hell does not want you to believe that, man. Hell wants you to think again, I've got to qualify. I've got to qualify. I've got to be better. I've got to be better. I've got to be better. Now, I'm in Christ, so I've done qualified. And something begins to shift, you see, in the spirit. Obstacles, obstructions get out of the way. And what's always been, again, been there starts to happen. It's like the old parallel story again about if you have a billion pounds right now in the bank, but you don't know about it, you'll be fretting all day about unpaid bills. Now, you have the capacity to pay them, but if you don't know it's there, you'll be under the same stress as anybody else. You'll be freaking out. You're going to be, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Because you're not taking advantage of what's already there. Same with Christ. See, God wants you to know what's already there, where you already are. You hear me? Another statement somebody made the other day cracked me up. They said, uh, in America, they said, uh, you know, because American football, you know, the real football, like I said, it's just started now. Like tonight, there'll be three games, and I'll be taping them and stuff like this, and it's okay, Jeff, the real stuff, you know what I mean? I can't help it. I mean, the real stuff, not that stuff that Arsenal keeps messing around with. Sorry, Cynthia. Ooh, you upset. So you got to be careful when Cynthia's in the house and you say anything that might even sound like a slant towards Arsenal. You know what I mean? Hallelujah. But anyhow, he said, you know, so when you're preaching on a Sunday morning in America, 
some of the first, the first game sometimes in America is like at 10.30 in the morning. So you can't watch the game. So he would record every single game. He lived in the Bay Area. Bay Area. So he'd watch it. He said, I taped every single San Francisco 49er game. I mean, I'd tape every game. I mean, I'd tape every game. He said, we'd get home, get out of church, have lunch, so I'm home. He said, I get home by like 3 p.m. And he said, what I do is I look at the score. And he said, if we won, he said, I'd watch the game. He said, if we didn't win, I'd never watch it. He said, but this is the thing. I'd watch the game. And he said, you know what? If one of our, if our quarterback threw an interception, I don't know if you know what I mean in American football. If he threw an interception, in other words, he threw a pass and the opposite team grabbed the ball where I normally go, my God, oh, my God, what are we going to do? He said, never bothered me. You know why? Because I already knew the end score. I already knew that we'd won the game, so it was no big deal that the guy threw an interception because I knew something already in advance. Don't you see what's, that's, what's saying? See, we need to know what God's already done. We've already won. I now possess eternal life. I'm born from above. I'm saved, healed, and delivered. It's not based upon whether or not I physically have something right now. It has to happen on the inside before it will ever really manifest on the outside. I've already won the game. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But see, that has to become much more than just whatever. So, but we're his poem in progress. Now listen to this. I had to write this down. Really, prophecy. Now think about this. I'm prompted to come up to Dominic or to come up to somebody and say, you know, God's hand really is upon you. The Lord loves you so much. He wants you to know that whatsoever you do, he's got you in his hands. It's going to be good. It's going to be all right. Sure, you'll go through contrary winds at times, and this and that will happen. But you know what? Fear not. God's got you in his hands. Now, what's really happening is I'm hearing because of God. God has favored me with something to share with him, right? But see, it's a bizarre thing that happens in the spirit because really, when I speak that to him, I've marked him. I've put a bullseye on him. And now, not only is he receiving from what I felt from God to say to him, now God sees I've put the mark on him for God now to do it. Oh, see, you got to hear that, man. See, this is why, what real New Testament prophecy is. You, you mark someone for God to touch. Hallelujah. But we're his poem. We're his poem. We're his poem. Our message, our talk is to administer God's grace and his favor to people. When God, his favor comes upon you to minister... It's always to benefit those around you. Do you hear me? See, whatever, this is why we need to get close to God ourselves because everything, anything that we do is to point to Christ. Nothing we do is to cause us to be honored. It's to honor God. And this is why real ministers have to understand when people applaud you, it's like, remember the old story, the guy said, you know, it's like, you know, uh, well, Kenneth Hagin said it. He said all those years, I got to stop. I'm sorry. I really will stop. I really will stop. Thank you. So everybody in agreement. Thank you. Go, she's in agreement. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm in agreement too. 
But you know, this guy got up and introduced Brother Hagin, and he said, Brother Kenneth Hagin is coming to speak now, truly a great man of God. He said, this is truly a great man of God. And Brother Hagin came up, he said, you know, he said, I appreciate that, but he said, I'm not a great man of God. He said, I'm just a man with a great God. But the other thing is, he said, when people applaud for you, he said, it's like Jesus, remember when he rode into Jerusalem, he rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. He said, it's like people, when you applaud for the minister, in reality, he said, it's like applauding for the donkey. <laughs> because all we're supposed to be doing is we're, the, we're trying to carry Jesus to you. You hear what I'm trying to say? And this is why we have to be careful to give honor to where it's due. But, see, there's this funny thing. The more you learn, when you see somebody that has God's favor on you, as you begin to honor, excuse me, when you see people that have the favor of God on them, as you honor them, some of the favor that God's given them begins to get off on you. This is why you do, we do want to create that same culture here. Speak well of one another. That's all I'm trying to say. Be delivered from a critical spirit. Let your mouth, let, you know, shut this thing up. Speak well of people. Encourage, edify, strengthen one another. Bless one another. When angry, sin not. It doesn't say you don't get angry. It says don't let it take you to the area where you begin to miss it. Learn how to conquer this mouth of yours. Do you hear me? If you want to be more like Christ, you're going to have to speak more like him. Speak well of people. Amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 